Well, good morning, everyone. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege that we have as your people, those who may be seeking you, that we get to come into a place in a country where we have religious freedom. And thank you for all the people who died for that and served for that. We're thankful for them, God. And more importantly, we're thankful for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who stepped down from heaven, emptied himself, allowed himself to be born into a manger, lived the perfect and sinless life, went to the cross, dying for our sins, and that he was resurrected on the third day to demonstrate to us that our hope and our faith in him isn't uh, for nothing. And God, he, before he left, before he went to heaven, he told us to disciple all nations, baptizing and teaching to obey everything he commanded, and that in doing so, that he would be with us, Emmanuel, surely to the very end. And so we thank you that you keep all of your promises, that you are a God of promises, and you're a God that keeps his promises. And so this morning, as the gospel is proclaimed, I pray that your spirit would move in hearts, lives would be changed forever, and that you would be glorified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, we've been going through our Equip series in the Gospel of Matthew. And today we will be in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. It's a story of a Roman centurion. Before we play that, I wanted to ask John, do you have our video ready to go, man? If you don't, that's okay. I can improvise. I want you all to watch this. And the title of today's sermon is Equipped with a Rugged Faith. So when you think about rugged, I want you to look at this right here. Crank it up. Rugged, yeah? That's rugged. And I wonder if Jesus Christ were to examine the faith in your life, would it look like that? Ready for any obstacle? Ready to cover any terrain whatsoever? Or would it be this pristine Ferrari sitting inside of a garage behind a glass wall that people just get to look at and say, oh, that's pretty. Or maybe it's this broken down, beat up old rusty galopy that doesn't even operate anymore. See, because those things aren't really faith at all. That faith in Jesus Christ is a rugged faith, and we're going to see that in the life of this centurion. Beginning in chapter five of uh, verse five, chapter eight, verse five, it reads: When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him. Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. I will come and heal him, he told him. Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be cured. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, I assure you, I've not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom 
will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus told the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was cured that very moment, equipped with a rugged faith. I want us to look at verse 5, our starting verse. We're stuck there, John. Verse 5. It says, Now entering into Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, pleading with him, begging with him. And I wonder, have you ever gone to Jesus and implored, pled, begged for something, for success that had nothing really to do with you at all? So I think oftentimes what we do is we approach Jesus and it's our selfish prayers. Jesus, change my circumstances. Jesus, great vending machine in the sky. I've inserted this. I've spent so much time doing that. I went to church this Sunday just for you. So now the truth is, is that you owe me something. Maybe we might not say it so boldly, so explicitly. But I think if we dug down deep, the reality is, is that's what we really believe. And this centurion, he approached Jesus as Jesus entered. See, I want you to know, years ago, I was sitting at a graduation and I heard someone say something. They said, success is when preparation meets with opportunity. Success is when preparation meets with opportunity. See, the reality is is that this Roman centurion, he was prepared. He was prepared for the opportunity. So as Jesus was entering the city, the town of Capernaum, the centurion knew about it and he approached Jesus immediately. It says up here, authentic faith is a fierce faith. I wonder how many of us are too afraid to approach anyone to maybe even just invite them to church. Maybe on a day that's like a special occasion, but what about next Sunday? What about just on a regular day when it's not about family or a baptism? And maybe it's just an opportunity for you to invite someone and we say, well, I don't know. And then I kind of take your mind and your memory back to that video of that truck going through that ravine and turning sideways and never stopping and making it through. Is your faith... In fact, a rugged and fierce faith. Is it active? Is it intentional? Does it go far beyond lip service? Prayers in a closet or at the foot of your bed to action. Those little kids sat up here a moment ago. Action! Does your faith have action? See, in verse 6, the centurion saying, Lord, my servant is fallen in the house. Paralyzed, direly tormented. The word for servant is a specific kind of servant. It means a young person in training. It doesn't mean it was an old man or an old woman. It means a young person. One of the words that we might think of in Christian circles is someone who's a disciple. Someone who you're training up that you've invested time and energy and love and effort into. And I want you to know that this man, this centurion, wasn't coming only because of the time investment, 
Not because of the financial investment, because of a relational investment that he had with this young person. It could have been a boy, it could have been a girl. We don't know because the word in Greek doesn't tell us. We just know that it was a young person. And it's letting us know that this person was paralyzed. That they'd fallen, they're paralyzed, and torment. And the first thing that this Roman centurion can think of is, I'm going to go see Jesus. Is that what we think of? Or is our first thought, well, we better get to the emergency room. First thing we better do, we better call a specialist. We better get an MRI. I'm not saying we don't do those things. I'm not someone who's standing up here saying we're going to do faith healings next week. That's not it. But I'm saying is our first thought in dire circumstances, direly tormented. First of all, is there anyone in your life outside of your own immediate family that you're investing in? Anyone. Do we only invest in the people that we can get something back from? Or is there someone in your life that you're investing in, that you're mentoring, that you're discipling? See, because Jesus told us at the end of his ministry, just before he ascended to heaven, that that's what discipleship looks like. Baptizing them and teaching them. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Do y'all realize that? He's just come down from the Sermon on the Mount. He hasn't done broad spread preaching all over the place. This is at the very beginning of his ministry. And already there's a centurion, a Roman soldier, who gets it. He's got a fierce faith. It's not only fierce, but it's noble. It's selfless. Like I said, it's not about the financial. It's about the relational investment. Who do you approach Jesus about? Who do you approach Jesus about for selfless reasons? Who do you approach Jesus about for selfless reasons? See, that's a noble faith, and Adrian had it. We're going to jump ahead. I'm not skipping this because I don't think it's important, but we're going to skip ahead to verse number 8. Because I want to point out what a rugged faith looks like. Jesus told the centurion he was willing, and the centurion's response was, Lord, I'm unworthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. See, in America, we struggle with that idea of being unworthy. We all think we're worthy. We really think, I think if you peel back the layers, Jesus would really be lucky to have me on his team. Yeah, Jesus, I knew I was going to be your first pick. Good call. Good call, Jesus, because I am going to do amazing things for you and your kingdom. Once I take care of work, and once I take care of the family, once we take care of soccer practice, and once I make sure the stuff around the house is done and taken care of, and we get to the end of the week, and we don't go to church, and we don't serve, is Jesus really lucky? See, because we think we're doing God a favor. See, in America, we think we're entitled. Yeah, Jesus, you better die on a cross for me. Again, we wouldn't say it. But 
common sense beliefs or the things that drive our behaviors, what do our behaviors say? Are we more like a Roman centurion that makes a proclamation? A Roman centurion, a commander, someone respected and honored in his culture. And he says to Jesus, this carpenter's son, this lowly Jew, and he says to him, I'm unworthy to even have you come under my roof. And you know what, Jesus? Not only am I unworthy, but I know who you are. I know that you're the king of eternity. I know that you're the eternal son. I know you're the one who stepped down from heaven and allowed himself to be born into a manger. And I know because all of that is true that all you need to do is say a word. Just say a word. I'm not going to make you jump through hoops. I'm not going to make you do tricks. I'm not going to make you prove yourself to me, Jesus. I'm just going to ask you, would you say a word, Lord? See, because there's this young person back home, and they're paralyzed. Authentic faith is an astute faith. Astute, meaning keenly aware, mature. See, it looks around, it examines the environment. It studies, it tunes in. Are you an astute Christian? Are you an astute observer? See, the centurion knew the gospel. He knew that God was God. Something that many of us today don't recognize. He knew that all humanity sinned, including him. This wasn't the gospel just for the Jews. This wasn't the Savior just for those people. This is the Savior of the world. He knew that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And he knew that what was required to fulfill the gospel promise is that he needed to repent. Have you done that? There's a lot of people who feel sorry about their sins. See, we read it later on. It says, but the sons of the kingdom, that's the Israelites in verse 12, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping. See, weeping doesn't get you there. Feeling bad about your past sins doesn't get you there. Gnashing your teeth and being angry at Jesus doesn't get you there. What gets you there is recognizing God as God, recognizing our sin as sin, recognizing Jesus as Emmanuel, and repenting. I shared with the kids during our uh, summer Bible camp for the children. I said what it means to repent is what we do our whole lives is that we turn our backs to God. And we're over here and we're having our big sin party. And when God says, I I love you and I I want you to turn around, I want you to repent. I want you to leave your sin party behind. It doesn't mean that we just, (laughs) Jesus, I feel so bad about the things I've done, but I'm just going to keep doing them. It means to turn. It means to give our lives to Christ. And it means that you make a public profession of that. It could be in a church. It could be in somebody's backyard in their pool. It could be in a river. It could be in the Jordan. It doesn't matter. And the reason why we as Baptists believe that you get immersed 
in the water is because we don't need a sprinkling of Jesus. We don't need a little bit of a pouring of Jesus. We need to take our whole self and to be immersed in the truth of who Jesus is and to come out and leave our old self behind. We need to come there, all of us. That's why we believe in immersion. See, it's an astute faith. At the end of this passage, in verse 13, it says, it reads, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go as you have believed, let it be to you. A rugged faith is an authentic faith. It's a tangible faith. See, something literally is accomplished. Not just something, not just anything. We look at a lot of churches around, we look at them and there's activity going on and there's programs and there's stuff happening. And I wonder, is any of it really glorifying God? Is the gospel really being preached? Or are we about entertaining our kids? Are we about having pizza and Coke for our youth? Well, it's, it's just good that they're going, right? How is it good that they're going if the gospel isn't being preached and lives aren't being transformed? It has to be a tangible faith. Something has to happen, but not just anything. God's will. Jesus said that His church would prevail on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In your life and in your church... Are the gates of hell being torn down? Are people being rescued from the gates of hell? Are we as a people actually mobilized and going out, doing the mission of God, taking the word to the ends of the earth? See, because if all we do is show up on Sundays, folks, and we sing a few songs and we high-five each other and we hug one another and we eat some good food and we go home, Jesus actually chastised the Jews for that. He said, you'll cross over land and sea to make one single convert. You got a lot lot of stuff happening. You got a lot of religious activity going on. But when you do, Jesus said, that you make them twice the child of hell that you are. We don't want to just draw people into religious activity. We don't want to say, well, it's just good that you're going to church. No! You need to go where the gospel is being preached and lives are being changed. That's why for me as a pastor, I've been here for 19 months. And this today was one of the high points. To know that God is moving in the lives of young people in our church. People are being transformed. The gospel is alive and well. It's a tangible faith. I want you to back up to verse 7. Jesus said to the centurion, I, having come, will heal him. I, having come, will heal him. Do y'all realize that that's why Jesus came? It's why he came. See, what he was talking about was that this faith that this centurion demonstrated that was rugged, it was tangible, it was astute, it was noble. 
that God used that to alter the life of someone who is going to spend the rest of their days paralyzed. And then that young person would get to have a conversation with this Roman centurion. Say, what happened? I was laying there on the floor in dire agony. And the next thing I knew, it was gone. And I could get up. And then I can just picture that Roman centurion saying, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened. See, because that's why Jesus came. To transform lives. Let's look at verse 10. When the Roman centurion said to Jesus, I'm not worthy, and then he went on, I'm a man under authority, and I have soldiers under my authority. I tell people to go and they go. I tell them to come and they come. I say somebody do this and they do it. And in verse 10, it says, Hearing this, Jesus was awestruck. He marveled. He marveled at the faith of a man who outside of Israel already had it all figured out. He already understood the gospel. He knew who Jesus was and Jesus stood before him, jaw dropped, awestruck. And I wonder, have you ever done anything in your life that has caused Jesus' jaw to drop? To be awestruck at your faith? I found no one. I think maybe we could look at this if Jesus was here today and say, I found no one in the church with such great faith. Oftentimes, churches are the worst, right? A lot of people out there say, I don't go to church because that's where all the hypocrites are. Well, thank God, things are different here at Poetry Baptist Church. See, because faith is alive. Jesus Christ is alive and well. And we're not a bunch of hypocrites We had a slide up there a few weeks back that said we're recovering hypocrites. We're a bunch of recovering hypocrites. See, because we haven't forgotten the fact that that's who we used to be. And we don't walk on high, holy ground and say, we've got it all figured out. We feel really bad for you poor sinners who are out there. What we say is we're going to be mobilized. We're going to go out there and we're going to love you because we love God and we want to draw you in and we're going to demonstrate extreme hospitality, desperate dependency on God. We're going to pray for you and we're going to see that tangible work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus was awestruck. Authentic faith is amazing. It's amazing and it amazes Jesus. The centurion was repentant. He was astute. He interceded. He was fierce. He was selfless. He was noble. His faith was active and it was tangible. And I think there's a danger that we might hear all of this and say, Yes, pastor, I've got it. And then we walk out the doors of this church... And it all falls to the ground. And later on in Matthew's Gospel, he tells a parable about a sower who casts some seed. And that seed falls on hard-packed soil. And the enemy comes along 
like a bird and snatches up that soil. Folks, are we going to act on that? Are we going to allow it to change our lives? Or is it just going to be seed that falls on hard packed soil? So my question to you is, as we wrap up, how are you known? Maybe that's a strange question. Application question. See, a lot of us don't actually have our identity in Christ. You might be shocked by that. If I were to, not knowing you, if I were to gather a bunch of friends and family and say, what's Lavelle known for? What's Jack known for? What's Vincent known for? What's Bob known for? What is John, Angela, Sue, Mike? What's Gene known for? What are you known for? Are you known because of your rugged faith? Are you known as a soccer mom? Are you known as a singer? Are you known as the guy who puts in extra hours at work? I'm the go-to guy. I like it when my bosses call me up because they know I'm the one that gets stuff done. Does Jesus feel that way about you? Does Jesus look at you and say, I'm going to call up Kevin because he's the guy that gets stuff done for my mission. He's an evangelist. He's taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. See, because all the other stuff that we're working on, all the other stuff that we're known for and by, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be in 20 years. We don't know. But all of that stuff that is not about Jesus and the gospel, it's a vapor, and it's going to be gone. And at the ends of our lives, you may look back on this very moment that you heard the gospel preached, and I don't want you to look back and regret and say, you know what, if I had listened to that pastor Kevin, and if I had stepped out during the invitation... And if I had asked him to pray for me and that from this day forward, Pastor, I want my life to be different. I want to live for Jesus. I've been saying it. I got a fish on the back of my car. I put a cross in my lawn on Easter. I say he's risen. From time to time I go to church. But I've never really lived for you, Lord. And today's going to be the day. How are you known? And if you're not proud of that fact... How do you want to be known? See, because Jesus is inviting you right now, today, to be known, just like that centurion, by your rugged faith. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourselves. See, we have the opportunity to examine ourselves, but like I shared with y'all, read together and we read with those little kids, Psalm 26, not only do we have to examine ourselves, but we have the privilege, right? We have this privilege that we can call on God Almighty, and we can say to God, our Creator, God, test me. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. And if there's anything about me that is displeasing to you, reveal it to me. Show me. And then take me through the refiner's fire. Make all that junk bubble up to the top. Scrape it off. And then let's do it all over again.
So today, during our time of invitation, my prayer is that your prayer would be exactly that. God, I've examined myself. I've asked you to examine me. Maybe I've never really trusted you. Maybe I've been pretending. Maybe I've been playing the role of Christian, but I've never truly given you my life. Maybe I don't really have a rugged faith. Maybe it's more like a faith that belongs in a museum or a mausoleum. But I want a living, active, tangible, and rugged faith. Let that be your prayer today. And if that's already a reality in your life, then pray that for those who are here this morning. That the gospel has penetrated their hearts. That lives would be changed. And maybe next Sunday, we'll have four more baptisms. Or maybe eight. Or maybe twenty. As Angela plays, I just ask that during this time of invitation that you'd respond. Because God is God. We're sinners. Jesus is Emmanuel. And we get the privilege to repent. Amen? Come now.